All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. All right, you guys, on the line, I've got Bonnie Christian, and she has an article in the New York Times, if you can believe that. Um, but uh, first of all, she is the author of Untrustworthy, The Knowledge Crisis, Breaking Our Brains, Polluting Our Politics, and Corrupting Christian Community. And she's a fellow at Defense Priorities and a columnist at Christianity Today. Uh, welcome to the show, Bonnie. How are you doing? Good. Well, I'm a little under the weather, so if I if I sound a little bit stuffy or uh, anything like that, that's why. But otherwise, it's pretty good and uh, glad to be here. Okay, good. Well, happy to have you. Wow, so you wrote this really important article. Ron DeSantis could decide Republicans' foreign policy, which is a very interesting way to uh, phrase the topic off the bat there, not just, hey, who's this guy and what does he believe, but already, and what is that going to mean for the Republican Party going forward? To sum up, is he America first or is he George W. Bush, Bonnie? <laughs> I think the interesting thing about DeSantis, well, one interesting thing is how few people seem to uh, be aware of his time spent in Congress and that he did, in fact, build something of a foreign policy record there. Everyone knows him as a governor, of course. Um, but I think the other interesting thing is that it seems like he's to some extent trying to straddle that line, um, doing a little bit of both in a way that, you know, as he's a presumptive but not yet declared presidential candidate, presumably he is hoping will appeal to a, a large swath of the Republican base, both the, the Trump faction um, and lingering elements who are, are still more comfortable with something from the Bush era. Mm hmm. All right. Well, if I can sum up my impression of your impression here, it sort of seems like the take is this guy really is a hawk, but now he's figured out that he's got to sound a little bit nuancey or something and give the America firsters, you know, a little something to believe in there. But otherwise, he's got a pretty consistent record as a Mitt Romney type on foreign policy, doesn't he? I mean, I think one of the, the biggest differences that I would point to and somewhere where it does seem to me that he is significantly different from that older model is in his and, and more resonant with the new is with his handling of China. Um, he does focus on it a lot and he does so in the sort of very ideological um, culture worry terms that you tend to see from sort of the new crowd. Uh, people like, you know, Josh Hawley are going to be talking about China in a similar way, in a way that we just didn't really have back in, in the Bush years. So I think that part is quite different. Um, and then I think the other big point of difference um, from, from sort of the, the Bush era folks is that DeSantis has actually been quite vague on his views of the main post 9-11 wars, Iraq, Afghanistan. Um, you know, there, there are some breadcrumbs and you can sort of make an educated guess, particularly given the fact that he deployed to Iraq as a JAG officer and he was also uh, worked for a bit in the same capacity at Guantanamo Bay. But he, he does not have um, either, you know, sort of the Trump style, these were stupid, 
uh, record or the, you know, old school uh, George W. Bush, we've got to go nation build and, and police the world um, attitude on his record in, in any super clear way. Hmm. Well, it's interesting, though, right? Even his reluctance, because only Donald Trump talks like Donald Trump anyway, right? Nothing DeSantis says is going to come off as total uh, take, as hyperbolic a take as something that Trump might say. So it would, in other words, it should be pretty easy for him to say, yeah, on second thought, we probably shouldn't have done that. But he won't even do that, right? Well, he's, he said, and particularly about Afghanistan, he said that he did think that we needed to leave. I've not been able to find from him any sort of, and he, he's also had a, he had a comment um, back in 2014 in the congressional record talking about Syria primarily, but you can see how it would apply more broadly, where he talked about Americans not being war weary, but being tired basically of, of uh, wars that were not winning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and he did have, you know, some stuff about like, strategy and and wanting a clear-cut victory, which would suggest also wanting an an exit plan in that comment. Um, But yeah, he just hasn't, to my knowledge, and I've looked into this a lot, certainly it's possible I've missed something, but to my knowledge, he he hasn't really weighed weighed in on these wars in sort of that bigger strategic picture of should we have gone in in the first place? And so it's very different, you, you know, to be saying in 2021 or 2020, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's time to wind us down. Um, as opposed to offering that wholesale reassessment. Yeah. Well, and mumbling something about, "Mm, we need to wind this down, is not saying we need to get out of Afghanistan at all, right? That's like not even, that's like walking next to the bandwagon, maybe. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't preclude, you know, even sort of some like long-term, small-scale presence like we have in Iraq. Yeah, any hawk could have said that. No, we should wind this thing down and only leave 30,000 forces there to kill everyone forever but uh, but nothing beyond that though you know i've we heard that for 20 years from people so yeah Yeah, and i think there's a similar flexibility in his some of his recent comments on ukraine where the line he's gone with lately has been like no blank check Mm -hmm. um and that you know sure that that i agree no blank check (laughs) but what does the check say um, if it's not blank, it, it could potentially even be higher than what we're sending right now, or it could be a lot lower, or it could be nothing. No blank check doesn't really tell you anything um, other than that he's, you know, critiquing what right. the Biden administration is currently doing. So there's a lot of unanswered questions. As much as, you know, he does have more of a foreign policy record, as I said, than I think many people realize, there are a lot of unanswered questions about pretty big, pretty big, pretty big when when Russia invaded Ukraine, uh, there was a pretty he was pretty critical. You know, he spoke about it as a, a strategic misstep. Like he he you know didn't at the at the around that time Trump had made some kind of complimentary comments to about Putin for the invasion. Um, DeSantis was very much not in the same space. He's called Putin an authoritarian gas station attendant. Um, and he, as recently as last year, has accused Russia of, of trying to engage in espionage or influence operations in Florida. Um, so he has, a, you know, a pretty decent record. Um, and going back to his time in Congress about a decade ago, he has a pretty decent record of, you know, some some hostility toward Russia, assumption that, you know, there's, there's a, a disalignment between Russian and U.S. interests. 
more of a, an old school, like sort of, you know, memories of the Cold War model, something that we would find fitting comfortably with um, that that older vein of, of neoconservative leaning Republicans. Yeah. Um, lately, the argument has been that he's softening his his stance on on Ukraine and therefore Russia a bit. Um, I think it's I granted I could have been tracking this more closely, but from what I've seen, I think it's a little bit early to say on that because it's it's sort of what I've read has been sort of in this um, conveniently, uh, I don't know if vague's the right word, but he's leaving himself some room, I think, mm-hmm. particularly so early in the 2024 race um, and and sort of looking for a middle way, again, that would appeal to Republicans sort of across this foreign policy spectrum, such as it is. Um, but so, yeah, his, his record has been to be, you know, more anti-Russia than certainly, again, like Trump, who's, of course, the, the comparison that, that is always made, um, whether he'll, whether that will evolve, you know, with the, the winds of the, the 24, 2024 election. I certainly think that's possible. Yeah. Well, Trump has declared that he's the peace candidate and everybody else is a globalist warmonger <laughs> in his hyperbolic way. So the battle lines are drawn. I guess DeSantis's argument has to either be, you're damn right I am, or I, I am not either, and stop saying that. And he's going to have to, you know, figure out, you know, which way to flip that light switch and stop trying to have it both ways. You know, slogans like no blank check. Isn't it just too easy to imagine like a sitcom scene where they're sitting around in the office, him and his staffers, and they decide... Well, let's just copy these other idiot Republicans who came up with this no blank check slogan, which doesn't mean anything. And everybody knows we support endless, uh, you know, arms transfers and, and supply to this thing. But we'll just throw them that like they're dogs and we're giving them a bone. I mean, to me, it just that's it's not going to hold up through debate and certainly not in an argument with Trump, who is, you know, saying, oh, make a deal and end this war in a day and this kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I would certainly, you know, hope that the, the race as it proceeds would, would require uh, DeSantis to get more specific about this stuff and that he would have to really commit to, to spelling out a, a clearer foreign policy vision, a, a clearer stance on, on the nine post 9-11 wars, a clearer stance on what he actually wants to do in Ukraine, as opposed to just, for right now, aiming fire at the Biden administration, whether that will actually happen, you know, I don't have to tell you how how uh, foreign policy is so routinely ignored in in presidential debates. Um, and I think there's some question of whether the GOP will even do primary debates this time. So, um, you know, absent that sort of uh, situation where you have candidates in the same room with one another being required to answer specific questions insofar as that even works when it happens. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mentioned in the New York Times article that to say, like, let's take a serious look at someone's foreign policy record if they want to be president. Um, and particularly with Trump in the race, uh, you know, having the effect that he does of making everything about, you know, one-liners and personality. I, I don't know if we'll we'll see DeSantis forced to to get more specific or not. Yeah. What did you find out about his role in Iraq War Two? Uh, the uh, the service as a JAG officer. Yeah, I think I had read just a brief bit about him being attached to some Navy SEALs fighting in the Anbar province, which yeah, certainly raises a, a lot whole... of questions. You know. 
there's not a whole lot of information out there about it. Um, I mean, it, it's certainly established that he did it. That was in 2007. Um, and then the year prior to that, 2006, was when he was at Gitmo. Uh, and just this week, I, I believe it had been published previously in print, but just this past week, the week of today's March 10th, um, I think it was published for the first time online. Uh, was it, I think it was Harper's or The New Yorker? I'm blanking on one of Miami those Miami Herald, I think, right? Uh, no, they had a report, but it, either Harper's or The New Yorker had a um, an interview transcript with a former Guantanamo inmate who'd been released and would oh, publish uh-huh. a book. That's from the Mike Preisner show. He's the one who got that interview. Yeah, that okay. That talking about. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, it was quite serious allegations that DeSantis had been in in the room in the room and, and laughing at um, forced feedings during a hunger strike. From what I understand, you know, it's been verified that DeSantis was there during an inmate hunger strike and he was there in a capacity that potentially would have involved him with that. I don't know if, you know, there's been any other corroboration of that account. Right. Well, um, so the Miami Herald account essentially says just what you say, that they confirmed that it's a possibility, right? They did yeah. not preclude it, but they did not establish it either. There's only yeah. a single source on this. And they, they do quote some people saying, well, I don't think that that would have been in his job description, but I think they quote someone else saying, no, it could have been that he would have yeah, been, Yeah, it's you know, so unclear. Uh-huh. And I don't think he's weighed in on it um, at all. Probably. Right, yeah, I don't think anybody's asked him. And I, I don't know, you know, that it would be in his interest to do so to comment. Um, so I don't know if we'll find out the truth about that. Um, yeah, well, there so could be confirming sources out there still. There you could know. be, yeah, yeah, maybe something will emerge, but for now it's a little bit murky exactly yeah. what he did while he was over there. I mean, certainly I think it's fair to say by 2007, you know, we're four years, 2006, 2007, we're three to four years into the war. We've at that point, you know, long since passed this sort of initial, uh, fun or cheerleading for it, the the sort of initial um, belief of the WMD story. So at the very least, he at that point in time had decided that this was something he he thought it was acceptable and perhaps even worthwhile. Participating and the courts in, right? had begun to rule too that no, this is yeah. not totally lawless territory where you guys can just make it up as you go along and do what you want, and the Constitution doesn't right. apply like somehow, sort the, of. And- yeah. The timeline is not he got swept up in the initial enthusiasm right. about war and then later right. regretted it. Like there was at this point, 2006, 2007, that's a that's a he's had chance, a chance to weigh that decision. Well, folks, sad to say they lied us into war. All of them. World War One, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq War One, Serbia, Afghanistan, Iraq War Two, Libya, Syria, Yemen, all of them. But now you can get the ebook, All the War Lies, by me for free. Just sign up for the email list at the bottom of the page at scotthorton.org or go to scotthorton.org slash subscribe. Get All the War Lies by me for free. And then you'll never have to believe them again. Hey, y'all, Scott here. Let me tell you about Roberts and Roberts Brokerage, Inc. Who knew? Artificial bank credit expansion leads to price inflation and terribly distorted markets. If you've got any savings left at all, you need to protect them. You need to put some, at least, into precious metals. Well, Roberts and Roberts can set you up with the best deals on silver, gold, platinum, and palladium. And they've been doing this since 1977. Hey, if you just need some sound advice about sound money, they're there for you, too. 
Call Tim Fry and the guys at 800-874-9760. That's 800-874-9760. Or check them out at rrbi.co. That's rrbi.co. You'll be glad you did. For people who don't understand that, first of all, the people are hunger striking and trying to kill themselves or, you know, get to the edge of death in order to protest their uh, lawless conditions being held there. I didn't mean to imply that the Constitution applied very much, just that the Supreme Court had asserted some jurisdiction anyway. But um, they were being held without trial. They have been, you know, all this time, so many of them still. And so, but then the military then just would tie them down and shove a rubber hose up their nose and down their throat and pump them full of Ensure, which is what you give like senior citizens when mm-hmm. they can't eat and need some nutrients and this kind of thing. And then, as and I covered this on the show at the time with all the experts and the lawyers and different people all through this as it was happening, that it got really gruesome. And it was not, we're not talking about torture as enhanced interrogation by CIA or military, which did happen at Guantanamo by CIA and military. But we, so it was nothing like that. They're not questioning them, but it was torture. And there were all different human rights groups and UN commissions and whoever all had said so too, because of the way that they would, you know, the hose would get bigger and bigger and now no lubricant. And now it's the same hose they just ripped out of this other guy's face covered with snot and blood and then they jam it up the next guy's nose and feet and you know mate and so then you see why it would make sense at least that a jag officer would have to stand there some of the time or check in sometimes and say this is still within the rules or no it's not because they were skating up against the rules as they're absolutely brutalizing these men so many of whom we know were innocent there's a handful of guys who actually ever did anything to us in there ever at all not that they deserve this sort of lawless treatment either but um so whether it was really desantis or not i hope we'll find out for sure but it would make sense that a jag would be standing there observing this at least from time to time you know yeah um yeah like you say i mean it's we, we know that this sort of thing happened we know that he was there we don't know for sure if this account is true but it would it would be very interesting to find out and i i think it uh you know in the in the ideal world uh in which we do not live it would that would lead to some some serious rediscussion of you know like the the torture practices from that era particularly even trump's record on torture there's a lot to to discuss there um yeah, yeah. Too too soon to say. Mm. Well, and so talk about how bad he is on Israel and Iran, not to be too redundant there. Well, on, on Israel, I think he's he's sort of pretty pretty typical of, of you know, where Republicans tend to fall on this. And that is something that hasn't really evolved, I think, over the past twenty years. I mean, certainly Trump's thing with moving the embassy to Jerusalem was a novel development, but the substance of of the you know just reflexively pro state of Israel stance is is fairly consistent, and, and DeSantis falls squarely in that space. Um, the Iran thing is interesting. That was a a really favorite topic of his when he was in Congress. Um, if I recall correctly, going over like his his statements that he had entered into the congressional record, those sort of like formally preserved comments. My recollection is that Iran was the the topic he discussed most, um, which is an interesting <laughs> decision, uh, you know, circa uh, 2013, 2014, 2015. He was very opposed to the Iran deal. Um, he was actually out ahead of Trump on this when, when in the 
to the extent that their times in office overlapped, he was pushing for Trump to withdraw from the deal before Trump had even done so. Um, and so I think, you know, this is, it's not necessarily outside the bounds of where Republicans have been on Iran for the past 20 years. You know, there's there's some variation on that. And I would say in a lot of ways, he's pretty typical. Um, what makes it perhaps a little bit more obsessed, but but pretty typical. What makes it more troubling, though, is when you combine it with this lack of assessment of Iraq and Afghanistan, right? Because for a long time now, it's most Americans, and that includes a, a lot of Republicans, have said, you know, those wars weren't worth fighting. Um, it's good that we're we're gone. And if if he did not sort of learn that lesson, um, and we we just don't know because he hasn't said. Uh, that that to me really raises the risk of him being willing to to attempt some sort of military intervention against Iran uh, and sort of repeat this the mistakes with Iraq and Afghanistan. Except, of course, we're now dealing with a, a wealthier country, a country where potentially uh, all of the the bad things that we can think about from from those countries in terms of like our our lack of success and failure to achieve any of our stated goals. Uh, would be worse. Yeah. Well, the mosaic sure is coming together here. Uh, so tell me about what he said about North Korea over the years. Mm. You know, he's, I, I don't recall seeing as much from him on North Korea as everything else. My, my recollection is that it's, it's pretty typical stuff, much like with China, he talks about it in terms of, you know, ideology They're they're, you know, a communist country. And of course they are, it's a terrible repressive regime, um, but I think in, in foreign policy that can lead to maybe refusals to uh, take opportunities to productively negotiate um, or to deal in uh, in like the economic realm in ways that can improve and people's quality of life and liberalize. And so, if you're so busy framing them as an ideological enemy, that can be an impediment to improving relations. Um, he has adopted some Trumpian language in North Korea, like he's used the rocket man term, um, and he's also linked them to to Iran, and so sort of um, making that category of nuclear threats to the United States, to global security, to stability. Uh, and so I, I would say, uh, again, a lighter record here, certainly compared to what he said on Iran, but I would anticipate that we would see from President DeSantis somewhat similar handling of the two, you know, that that disinterest in um, diplomacy where there's real compromises on the table, um, which is to say diplomacy that has a chance of working, that disinterest in like incremental progress, um, sort of an all or nothing mindset. Now, whether he would be, uh, whether there's the same risk of military intervention, given that North Korea already has nukes, I think that's probably less just because uh, they have nukes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's that's always the, the big difference, the dynamic between those two. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, that similar maximum pressure approach with both is a safe expectation. Right. In other words, there's just no break here at all from the Republican consensus. So you're, you're saying like, you know, he's not the worst hawk in the world. He's not, you know, out front of the war party or anything like that. But I mean, he's not John Bolton. <laughs> right. But, you know, right now, the challenge is whether the America firsters 
you know, running on basically the disgrace of the terror wars and how we should not have done that and we should not be doing this and how we're going to move forward with a different policy from what John McCain would have us do or whether we're just going to muddle along, as Stanley McChrystal says. And so to that extent, it seems clear this guy might as well just be a CIA plot to kill America first. Well, I mean, I guess what I would say is that so it's the the America first rejection of the post 9-11 wars. I think that that was I mean, in Trump's case in particular, it was all, it was you know pretty impotent. He didn't actually end any wars, but he was at least saying that stuff. And that was valuable while those wars continued. Um, and of course, you know, we haven't fully wound down what we're doing in the, the Middle East, but it is markedly scaled down from three, four years ago. And so when I think about DeSantis coming into office potentially in, in early 2025, um, and the, you know, unless something changes, and certainly it could, but as far as what we know right now, the Middle East not being a major focus of American foreign policy at that point, you know, there's not going to be 100,000 American, 100, American boots on the ground in the Middle East at that point, most likely. Um, insofar as now there's this new focus on great power conflict and on China in particular, um, also Russia, but particularly from Republicans of all varieties of China, uh, at that point, I, I don't really know. It's, it feels sort of like a frying pan fire situation for me between the America first crowd, which is so, you know, deeply antagonistic to China and someone like DeSantis who has a pretty much identical position. So if we're looking at a few years ago, it seems like, you know, maybe that that America first rhetoric is going to be uh, put us in a better in, in better shape mm -hmm. when the Middle East was the focus. But a few years looking forward, if China is the focus, there's not much difference. Yeah. No, the, of course, you know, the populist writer have so far been essentially made to be hawks. But, you know, there are a lot of leaders on the populist right who don't believe in it. A lot of MAGA types who see through the hype about China and, you know, are not willing to just go along with that. So there is some hope there. But I think and and I'm with you. Uh, you won't catch me dead giving Trump too much credit. I mean, there's enough in my book to put him in prison. No question <laughs> about that. But what really is at stake is not whether it's Trump or DeSantis making the calls, because at least if history's the judge, Trump would do pretty much what DeSantis would do, probably. Um, mm -hmm. But there is a huge difference in the terms of the Republican right being told by their most important leaders, this is who we are and this is what we care about versus that's who we are and that's what we care about. And it would be it's pretty easy to see how DeSantis could satisfy enough of the things that they care about that they don't give a damn what a horrible hawk he is because they're not that anti-war anyway. And, you know, it's sort of like with W. Bush, um, you know, kind of came in and all the things that right-wingers hated about the government in the 90s didn't really matter anymore. The IRS, the ATF, and, uh, you know, FBI files and this and that and and killing the branch of idiots. Never mind all that. Let's go to Iraq. We got a great <laughs> new leader we can believe in now. And so... Even people who were like against the sanctions said, yeah, well, that's why we have to invade so we can lift the sanctions. I and mean, just, you know what I mean? I can yeah, see DeSantis I mean, I, I think, doing that. I think as much as the, 
the Republicans foreign policy is like somewhat unsettled and somewhat in flux right now and and who wins this next nomination could you know as the article said really shape where the the party goes on this front I don't we're certainly not dealing with an unlimited <laughs> range of options for where that shaping will go and also I feel very confident saying you know if there were another 9/11 style attack on American soil, and it was comparably traced to a group, you know, with a some sort of national home base like Al Qaeda in Afghanistan in 2001. I feel pretty confident saying a Republican president would happily reinvade and do that all over again, and with full support of the the Republican base. And start some um, extra wars too. Yeah, and so I think <laughs> you know, there things have changed to a, a real extent. Like I don't want to underplay that. Um, I do think this this presidential nomination will be consequential for what Republicans do in foreign policy going forward. But a lot of stuff hasn't changed. And that's, a, you know, that hypothetical is a really big case in point. Yeah. Well, we just saw an example the other day where um, some America firsters in the House tried to get us out of Syria, as Trump did try to do three times, which he's the same guy who also rolled over, even though he was the commander and could have made it. So uh, the Pentagon overruled him and he let them overrule him three times. But there were plenty of George W. Bush Republicans up there giving speeches about, don't you know, we got to fight them over there so we don't have to fight them over here. And all this crap straight out of 2004 and five. And that'd be a good enough excuse to keep troops anywhere where there's Sunnis or Shiites with rifles, you know, if you want. Yeah. And I, I think on these these kinds of of issues, you know, it's it's obviously not impossible that the the GOP will will shift more significantly um but it's it's there's a there's a greater diversity of opinion than in 2003 for sure yeah but it's not it's far from clear that that the this is not a, an anti-war party to say the least nope not yet <laughs> maybe not ever but and you know what there are a few in there you know thomas massey's a good one gates is good on a lot of things on foreign policy i don't know what his entire record is but um, and I don't know a whole lot about Margaret Taylor Greene, but it seems like she's very skeptical of a lot of this stuff, at least. I'll give her credit for that. And and she certainly, you know, is moving the so-called window there and making it acceptable for right-wingers to say, we shouldn't be doing this. This is reckless. This is stupid. This is expensive and things like that, which is what their take all should be, if you ask me. So, you know, it's not over yet. Is it ever? <laughs> <laughs> um, nope, not quite. Um, well, listen, thank you so much. It's great to talk to you again, Bonnie, and uh, great work and really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, you guys, that is Bonnie Christian. She is at Defense Priorities, and here she is. They let her write one in the New York Times. Ron DeSantis could decide Republicans' foreign policy. The Scott Horton Show, Anti-War Radio, can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. APSradio.com antiwar.com, scotthorton.org, and libertarianinstitute.org.